Oh, shit. Guys, this is part two of the Colin Dewey interview. If you haven't heard part one, it's the previous episode in the feed. Um, yeah, had to split this one into two parts. Such a good chat. Uh, this part is more focused on Dungeons and Dragons. So it's going to get real nerdy in the best way. Hell yeah. Let's get right on into it. Ladies and gentlemen, part two of my conversation with Colin Dewey. When did you get into Dungeons and Dragons? Just some context. Just some context for the listeners. We were supposed to play Dungeons and Dragons today, but our two other uh, companions could not join us today. So we pivoted doing a podcast. Much love to them, Haley and Bree. Um, yeah. Haley, your girlfriend, and Bree, your roommate. Um, yep. Both excellent people. Excellent folk. I, I hitched myself onto y'all's D&D wagon about a year ago. It's actually, yes, seriously, it's been about a year. And uh, it is wild to think that a year has passed because we were doing the math the other day and we only got to play with you in person for like four or five months before yeah. the world decided to reveal its true colors that we do in fact live in the worst version of this reality that we are, in fact, the universe destined for chaos. Um, <laughs> We've spent a lot of time, yeah, online and also in a fantasy realm. Yeah. For maybe half of our talking to each other. But I feel like I also, we also get to chat and hang a lot, which is cool as well. And that's, It's a pleasure. Oh, truly likewise. And I'm glad we get to do that today. But it yeah. it is also like a cool dynamic that like, whoa, half of our memories are like, in, I would say at least like, Francis roll <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, you're just such a fucking good dungeon master, and I'm wondering like what that you put so much work into it, and you care so deeply about it, and I benefit so much from that. Uh, as someone who plays in your campaign and has a goddamn blast. Um, when did you start doing that? And how has that journey been for you as a dungeon master? Oh, I think it's one of my favorite things to revel in. There are not a lot of things that I do currently that I really revel in. Mm. Even when I am writing for the campaign i feel as if i'm always writing to my audience which my experience in school my degrees in english were all understanding who my audience was going to be and that felt very formal at times and now writing for my friends acting out these characters it's so uh 
selfless of an endeavor in my mind. Now, it's selfish because I get to be whoever I want and I get to make things happen. But in reality, the story is all yours. Mm. I've given everything I've got for you guys to fucking destroy. <laughs> Sometimes, literally. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I personally I, have killed <laughs> some two pretty major characters. But I don't know if we're I, meant to die. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that they were meant to die or not. Right, right, it, right. I don't even know that that is like the question, but you did kill them. <laughs> one pretty early on in the campaign and one one more recently. Um, but what a fascinating yeah, relationship with like something that you write to like, I feel like a lot of people creative say like, oh, things take on a life of their own. But I feel like maybe nothing is more the case than that uh, when you are putting the th putting things in place and then literally handing handing the reins over. Um, yeah, to these other creative folks who make that world dimensional, mm. and that's what I strive for: is a great story. Uh, mm. Probably a bad reason to go to law school is to write good stories. But I have other interests as well. Yeah. And D&D &D is the best way to escape what you don't want by making something that you do. Yeah. Yeah. That it requires a lot of you, especially as a dungeon master. You're asked to be... And wear as many hats as you can. Mm. Um, but there's an important skill to be had in understanding your limitations. Mm. Something naturally I think I'm not very good at doing. Mm. Uh, I We've talked a little bit about goal stacking and, and making too much of small things and, and then making too little of big things and requiring yourself to do too many big things at once and then it all falling apart like this giant house of cards. Oh, yeah. When you're a dungeon master, you sit down knowing that there are things that you will not know. Mm. You have to accept that mm. and not let it dictate the beast that you're trying to wrangle and ride. And that's usually your players are, are the problem. Mm, um, those are the but unknowns. internally, sorry. Think those are the unknowns. Yes, I would say, I would say your players create the unknowns, but I use the word problem and I don't like that because every good dungeon master will tell you as they've told me, uh, through YouTube, mm. um, <laughs> Is that how you learned? If there's, I did I learn through YouTube? Let me think. In a way, yeah, I think half of it. Yeah, I think half of it is natural. Like I'm just a performer. I want to be out there. I want to be on the stage. Mm. Like throw it, throw the costumes on me. Yeah, I was talk. I was talking to Bree every year for um, the holidays. Yeah, uh, in my house it's Christmas. We get together and have some fun now that everyone is of age uh we we drink as a family a little bit yeah which is cool that's like a new dynamic in the last couple of years mm. but uh even before that 
Like, I was always the one who had the cheap boa on and, like, four Christmas hats and, like, tons of Mardi Gras beads that I just pulled out of the closet. <laughs> I enjoy awesome. that. Yeah. I, I, I think I was born for camp. And <laughs> that fucking rocks. Born for camp. So D&D is a little bit of that that I get to live mm. out all the time. And when it doesn't live up to expectations, it's never any player that did it. It's me. It's uh, it's the dungeon master not providing enough. Um, you can always make the banquet bigger, I think. Mm. It's such an interesting... Having, <laughs> having never done it, having only witnessed a few people do it, um, I feel like you're such a unique person in the like intersections of your mind and like things that you find interesting and like I'm excited to hear more about those. You like alluded to some other passions and things earlier. I definitely want to talk about those, but okay. yeah, you're like <clears throat> into fantasy stuff as a kid? Question mark. Yeah, I read like uh, Aragon. You know, I was out there reading dragon books. Yeah. Uh, I read mysteries, although I didn't like them as much. I would mm-hmm. say fantasy. Some of that steampunk fiction is always pretty cool. I, I get behind a good character. Right. Mm. I get behind a good character. Even if the world is a little flat, if the character dynamics are super compelling, you will always be engaged. Mm. Hell yeah. The settings will change. You'll travel. You'll go through distant lands. You'll pass through. Deserts are always like the rite of passage, right? You have to pass the desert. Oh, damn. It's to find one's true self. Oh. To find the heart within. <laughs> like, that fucking you, rocks. You, you're bound to your narrator. Mm. And your narrator is focused so heavily on your character. Mm. You have to be in love with this character mm. in order to get everything that you want from it. Because you're reading this book, and I did read a lot as a kid. Uh, it's how I found passion for writing right. was through yeah. reading. Mm. Um, it's how I found passion through D&D was reading stories and thinking, like, why can't I make this happen yeah, with my friends? Yeah, that owns. Yeah. I, I wanted it. Yeah. I was, I was jealous. Mm. Did you know I that it some existed that. before you got into it? Or were you? did you, like, find out about it and then be like, oh, this is the thing I've been looking for? Or, like, when was the discovery of D&D? Yeah. The discovery of D&D goes back to a good group of friends that I'm still in contact with today, some of whom I run uh, another campaign with. Um Others who are on their own journey, um, different, uh, some in education, some working, and they had their time with D&D, and maybe they'll have it again, but right now they don't. Yeah. And that started, I think, around the same time that I started growing facial hair. Yeah. Uh, and keeping it to, like, junior, senior year. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, I had one good friend... He decided he would be our dungeon master. And I think it was sort of like a biting the bullet moment. Like, he he was very interested. Right. I think he wanted to play. Right. 
But I think the only way we were all going to get into it was if he took the reins. Right. And as a dungeon master, there's a level of respect that I ask from all my players just because they show up with great knowledge of one being in this world. Mm. And I I give that being respect. But this is like respecting Gaia. Like this is respecting Mother Earth. There's a lot going <laughs> yeah, on here, okay? Yeah. Like give me some credence so we can have a little bit of magnitude and gravitas yeah. or it's just if I'm your buddy while we're playing, it's not going to be scary. It's not going to be heartfelt. Right, right. There has to be a degree of separation. That's Surrender why traditionally it. in person, there's that screen that the dungeon master sits behind. Mm. That veil between the masses and the master. I right. Guess is, that like allows you not to. Not the language I like, but it's right. <laughs> that relationship <laughs> right. is a little, a little more tiered. Right, and not because it's like me, Colin, want be the king. I want crown. <laughs> Make me king. But like that's how it has to work in order for like the immersion to be there. I imagine. I always think of it like the ocean. Mm. When you're on the ocean, you should be afraid of the waves. <laughs> You should, yeah, truly, because yeah. the ocean has <laughs> swallowed bigger things than yeah. you. <laughs> that owns. That's that's what it's like being a DM. I think mm. is you're the ocean, and your players are riding atop, and they see tips of icebergs that you point out, and these odd birds sitting atop them, pecking through the ice for what you have no idea yet. You're just enjoying the ten percent. Of what you see on the surface. Yeah! That fucking owns. You're a good-ass ocean, dude. Thank you. I feel... Yeah, the things that I... Yeah, there's that creativity, that performance thing, because you're being all the other characters in the universe. So And there's, like, an improv to that. And there's, obviously, writing. Um, and then also, yeah, like, lore. And then mm-hmm. also rules and systems and like you were talking about that i think and which is also interesting to me which almost makes sense with you being an english major in college and writing poetry and now studying the law and just being like there are so many rules at play and knowing like which ones to to pull out at the right time Mm-hmm. Am I quoting you correctly? Yeah. Can you expand absolutely. on that idea? There's there's a lot of the rule book that I don't know. Yeah. And there's even some of it that I frankly don't care to know. Yeah. Um, D&D is a great format that I am very inexperienced in. I only have a couple of years being a dm like we're coming on three maybe doing weekly sessions and i have not achieved the type of mastery in three years that i could if i was more diligent about the depth of the the rule systems and the interplay Mm. um even my knowledge of spells is weak at best (laughs) 
Same. This is so interesting to hear you say it because I feel I think of you as just like expert, expert man. Yeah. I, the the difference for me personally is that I'm willing to play the game within the bounds of it and not necessarily rely on all of it. Right. I don't need the full breadth of the rule book to create the type of universe that I want. Yeah, totally. Just enough to like get yeah. you into so a thing. So I'll take everything as as gospel right when it comes out of the printed books when it's coming out as the lore progresses but i like to write my own stories yeah it sounds way more fun i like to expose you guys to scenarios and give you the opportunity to be free somewhere in this cosmic universe you can be free and in this campaign it's not an ultimate freedom yeah right but but it's an opportunity to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Oh, I was thinking about this the other day. That was so beautiful how you said all that. And like, and it's, and like in RPGs in general, and like video games and in D and D and fantasy in general. It's interesting because there are times where I'm looking to have the opposite experience of my day to day life and and get something totally different. Because and like, let me escape the like boredom of my life, you know? And then there are mm-hmm. times where I like, or, and, or like, let me explore what it's like to be something totally different than what I am. And then there are times where I like, um, where you totally just want to see yourself, <laughs> you know? And you just like want to, like, I just think about the like character that I play in, in our campaign and as, so different from me in so many ways and it's so fun and then there's all it's also there are like bits of myself that i will find in the character obviously and it's like that is also just that like kind of dual quest of like subverting your own identity and also like looking for it um i find like so interesting and fun and cool the more characters that i make the more i try and escape from my inclinations right. and my personality. Right, right. Uh, that in that sense. same mindset, that endeavor is an arduous one because I think the most skilled players still find that if it's not an attribute, if it's not a personality trait or a cool scar that, that they themselves have, it's probably something they want. Mm. And is that not still a part of your self-conception? Is that Mm. not in some way still a self-insert? Whoa! Fascinating! Damn, that rules. Yeah. So, it's inescapable for me, but I think the better you get, the more you can create a diverse character from yourself. The, The diversity begins with who you see yourself as even the conceptions and the desires that you have like we just talked about yeah and then you work away from that toward something else i don't think you can do it blindly i think you need to pick a starting point even if it's as simple as uh, a weapon or a color it can be anything that you don't identify as. Yeah. And then you can bridge the gap and that gradient forms between very like yourself. Mm. 
and very apart from your self-conception. Mm. And your character fits somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Man. What a fascinating world, and I appreciate you shepherding me into it in the way that you have in this past year. It's fucking cool! Uh, it's been a blast, man. I'm, I'm excited for the world where we get together much more often, because that would make me really happy. I have faith that it will happen. Yeah. And it'll be glorious. Oh, it will. It's yeah. such, a, such a source of joy in my life, um, especially when every... It seems like so many other parts of my life are, as I think I've discussed with you, like shit is just, everything is intermixed where it's like my friends or my co-work, like doing music stuff and it's like social life becomes work life, becomes romantic life, becomes roommates, becomes, it's just all the same crew and it can be like like we were talking about being in your room and doing different stuff and being like, what is going on? There is like a really nice part where it's like, oh, we show up and we just like, we just like, we're all just down to do this like long, cool thing together. <laughs> it's just like so comforting to me to just show up and being like, okay, no matter what goes down this week, I know I have this like chunk of time and like, I think when I'm by myself, I have a harder time kind of like unwinding or unplugging. And it's like so helpful to just like get immersed with a group of people that are down or just down to hang. I don't know. It's been it's been a great source of uh, friendship times. Yeah, for me. Uh, I totally agree. I I realized a couple of years ago that I live truly for those moments by the proverbial campfire mm. where the actual party is over, but all of the real people have stuck around just oh, long yeah, enough yeah. to give give you all their their thoughts on the world. Mm. And everyone's too too drunk to drink. So you're just sitting there. Yeah. And you've got water and that bread that you ate half of earlier that you thought was going to help you, and I told you it wouldn't. <laughs> and your salad that you made from earlier. And, and the rest of your salad tastes so freaking good. <laughs> and those moments, I think I've tried to cultivate them in every aspect of my life because they are so rare, and yet they teach us so much. I'm willing to oversaturate myself with that type of enjoyment, even at the cost of it not being as pure or as special or as enjoyable, because I've yet to be able to get to the point where every night you can have that type of enjoyment with your friends. Mm. I don't think I ever will. I don't think people see that thing the way I do. It's, it's like a commodity, almost like you can cultivate this if you have enough people who are all willing, right. who are all ready, who are all emotionally available enough. You can cultivate this thought. It doesn't have to be a 10-hour binge every night. Sometimes it's 10 minutes when you guys get together right. after dinner and someone is waiting for someone else to be the the fucking homie and just pick all the plates up and put them in the dishwasher. And instead you guys just start talking about something that you heard about in the news and it becomes then a little more personal and someone tells a story yeah. and you learn something. Mm. I am really missing those times. I feel like I've had less of them in the pandemic, in the quarantine. 
Yeah. And me too. I know that they will return, and there has been like versions of them, and a lot of it for me has been kicking it on Discord, which fucking yeah. rules. Um, but uh, oh, oh, the days of big hug, big hang, you know? Yeah. No worries. Truly. Like that. I, That's I nice. feel. I feel for. The very extroverted in our society. Right, right. Uh, I think I can get my energy wit from people, but I expend a lot. Like, I'm burning mm. the candle at both ends in a weird way. Maybe not that. the best way to describe it, but... Yeah, no, it, that makes sense to I, me. You know, I go home and recharge, like everybody, to a certain extent. But I do love being with people. Um, and the people who need their energy from interaction have to be suffering. Mm. And I would love to give them what I have, which is the ability from years of playing games with my friends online to have these deep conversations without even having the video on. Right. Like, we're just talking. Like, I know you're kicking it in your bed. You just told me you've got some peppermint tea, you cozy little fuck. (laughs) And, And we're just enjoying that company. Yeah. Yeah. Colin, what are these other I want I want to hear about cuz we started talking about um you're like, "Oh, I'm in LA with the artists I want to work with and I I I've heard you talk about this, but I would love to to talk about it here and for people listening about this this quest of the law and this quest of working with creative people and and some of these other passions you were referring to. Okay. What are they? What is? What are these quests for my, yeah. for my man Colin? Well, I don't want to give away all of it. For sure. But and you don't have to at all. I will tell you my thoughts at least, which are a bit scattered at times. Respect. And I think sometimes it's hard as a human. Yeah. To separate thoughts from desires. Oh. Um, what you actually consider and what you want are very different things. Mm. And for me, at least, what I want is usually very big. Maybe I'm kind of greedy. Um, what I want is to make great things. And those things, I want them to be stories. So really, I want to make great stories. I do that now to an extent, and I'm happy sure do. with what I have, but I want to add more to it. Mm, yeah. And if it takes a while to add more, then so be it. But some of the things that I'm interested in that pursued me to go to law school is just an understanding that there is no freedom unless you make it as an artist. And when I mean make it, I don't mean becoming successful. I mean creating freedom for yourself, creating a space, yeah. creating a mentality mm. to be free in. Yeah. That's from my own experience as as a writer, yeah, totally. as a creator. Yeah. Uh, um, there's nobody who's going to tell you, oh yeah, just go out and find your space and be free, who's actually going to help you do that. Right. They're just going to say it. Right. And talk yeah. is cheap. We already know that. We live in L.A. 
everybody's writing a screenplay. So the people who are producing screenplays, I want to hear from. And and more importantly, I want to know, hey, do you have representation? Because Mm. the things that you make will not be protected. And even worse, they will be taken away from you if you're not in cahoots with somebody to help you. Mm. If you're not... If you're not on the right side of the legal battle from the very beginning, mm. I mean, we've heard how many songs in history about being some sort of indentured servant to the label. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. That can change. Mm. I totally hear what it you're is saying. It's changing. Yeah. Yeah. We look at people who are producing their lives as mm. reality content on these new platforms like TikTok. We're not going to talk about Reels, but we'll talk about TikTok. And I am not a huge um, participant in social media, mm-hmm. but I know that for my for my audience, for the people I want to affect and to help, that I, I ought to become a little more versed in it. Mm. Because I see people creating stuff that is truly good. It's entertaining. It's quality. It's what we want. It has that sort of coziness and familiarity that we trust, that we don't trust from labels anymore as a general society. I'm just speaking generally. Yeah. And as a result, we come to adore these people quickly. We fall in love instantly with them and their content. And we form these beautiful parasocial relationships that in such a desperate time we need. But in general, I think we should have. Because people who say they don't have friends in their, in their small nuclear matrix can still have friends through the great connections of content that have been produced in the world. Mm. But who's out there protecting them? Right. Who owns that content once it, it, you hit publish or post? The thing I'm thinking about as you're saying this is I feel like a lot of times you'll, you'll hear like, and maybe it's a cynical perspective of artists that say like anytime commerce is involved, it like sullies the artistic integrity of what's being made. And yeah, I don't agree with that. You know, oh, because it's like, like the idea, like it's easy to make stuff just for yourself, you know, and sometimes that's the most beautiful shit of all time, you know, but also like, man, if the Beatles didn't like have momentum then they wouldn't have made, like, any more records. You know, if they, like, kept all their songs to themselves and, like, didn't share it and then, like, didn't have, like, time, (laughs) you know, like, Mm -hmm. time to uh, fucking go to India and, like, make the White Album, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Then we wouldn't have that, you know? And I feel like that requires a lot of things like you're talking about, like, people acting on your behalf to allow for that freedom, to cultivate that freedom, to create more art. Like maybe there are artistic achievements that don't happen. And this is like all caveated by like in the frame of capitalism. But, um, but yeah, I definitely think like, I don't know, as someone who like writes things for people, 
like is is my shit that like is something be, like because people want it because people will will pay for it um does that mean it's like somehow worse or does that mean it's like better because it's like people actually give a shit about it you know and it's actually like for someone else or I don't know. Obviously, there are like things that are feel pandery and like commercial and cheap, and you're just like, this doesn't feel authentic. But I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious what your your thoughts on uh, that intersection are. How, how hot can the takes get? Let's get hot. The, there's a disclaimer okay. in the theme song of my podcast, which says, "I don't know anything." And oh, great. Okay, that applies to me as well, then. <laughs> uh, we're not going to pretend like we're experts. Conti- but No, so. I know that I know nothing. <laughs> That's where I'm at in the journey. <laughs> but, I, uh, but I am interested to hear what your thoughts are. This, it's a Thoughts and Feelings podcast. I am firmly of the opinion yeah. that anything you make for yourself is not going to be as good as something you'll produce for someone else. Mm. Yeah. And it's steeped in a couple of different ideologies. And one is that you're going to be more satisfied with something that you did. Mm. Inherently, you're biased because you put effort in to make it. So it's going to be harder to see flaws. That's why great editors are fantastic people. And I'm sure the musical equivalent of like a producer exists for the whole reason of separating the creator from the content for just a moment to look at its tangible, recognizable flaws and to say, how important is it to fix them? Because sometimes it doesn't matter if something is wrong or untrue if the story that it's telling is encompassing that. Mm. If it holds on to it and it has meaning whether or not it's true. Mm. But mistakes of a generic nature, a spelling mistake, or some sentence that's just unintelligible. You can't make anything of this. It has no meaning. But a person wrote it, in the case of written work, they wrote it and they thought that it had value. That's already a recognition of bias. So anything you make for yourself falls under that category Uh, of bias uh, that's almost impossible to separate your self-conception from what you produce. Right, right, yeah. And when you make it for someone else, it's not about you anymore. Mm. Your feelings are still valid because that's, in some cases, the source of production, Mm. which I also think is a dangerous habit that I have. You can't use your emotions as the well for your creativity. How do you get out of that? I don't know. I'm trying. What do you mean? You feel like it's a, a limited... You, oh, it's... I can't use an ocean again, so let me come up with something else. I'll, I'll give you a minute. Uh, do you mean like but, you can't use only your emotions? Or that it's like unsustainable? Uh, I'll say it like this. There, there's a lot of writers mm. who uh, struggle with different afflictions mental health yeah is is a uh, tough conversation in america but among artists oh, totally. it's like yeah for a lot of people that's like the that's their mojo oh for sure and like oh i'm 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 good at art because i'm i have depression 
and like yeah because i'm sad right yeah totally well so what if you're not sad anymore right yes how do you make art yeah yes this i in the case with. of a publisher they are not gonna care whether or not you're sad you have a book to write right yeah so you have to ground what you create in something tangible mm. in you know i think uh i have been offered and recommended Stephen King's book on writing, which Same. is like apparently the only writing book you're supposed to read because he's a man who's written over 125 books. I think that his Wikipedia page like doesn't even know how many books he's written because he's written so many. And that's because he has a schedule. He gets up and he grounds his writing in the schedule and the emotions are what build the story. And that's how we end up with these interesting tales. Mm. His emotions create the content, right. but they're not the reason you write. Right. Right. They're not the thing that gets you up to do the task. Right. Yeah. Mm. And that's hard to separate. Yeah. Is the feeling that gets you going and the knowledge, the more practical, the more uh, reduced or um, larger scope of your creation. Yeah. Mm. Have you seen the most recent season of BoJack Horseman? Um, the final oh, no, season? No, actually, and I've been meaning to. It's fucking great. There's some, like, Diane's character arc specifically as a writer is really fascinating. And this is somewhat of a of a detour, but just in terms of like writing stemming from a place of pain and she is like specifically like she basic mm, I don't want to get too into it, but basically she's kind of wrestling with if I don't create some sort of like artistic masterpiece out of my traumatic experiences like what if all that then what if all that pain was for nothing and like what like it like it because i feel like so often sometimes creative people will like and this is something that i'm thinking about now where i'm just like oh like do i feel like i have to make stuff from that place or else it's like mm -hmm. not valid or something like that and and if i don't make something from it then like then I just have to like deal with those feelings, <laughs> you know, and then just being like, yeah. okay, that happened. Like, is that the only thing that's interesting about me or the only thing valid about my experience? Or like, not to say that you can't make really compelling work from that, but also to the tune of what you were saying, like feeling like you have to make it from that place is also like, doesn't seem to be, a healthy or productive uh, approach <laughs> to things. And basically she finds a lot of liberation in the season in like letting that, letting that go and exploring other sources of creativity. And she, at first she's like bummed <laughs> and then she's like, yeah. well, Hey, that's all right too. I, I guess I have one important thing that I like to think about yeah. and I think about it because I don't know that I can actually do it yet. Mm. But I'm going to try. I'm going to keep going after this idea. Mm. Um, the trauma, mm. whatever that is, right. trauma TM that you, that you have taken and categorized a bunch of experiences in your life under. Trauma TM. Um, they all have inherent value in shaping you as a person. Mm. 
Right. Uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's like divorce in their family. Mm -hmm. Like that shapes you as a person. Right. I mean, it and we have proof of that because colleges are willing to give kids from broken households or whatever, non-nuclear households, money. Mm. So we see that it has a traumatic effect mm. and we understand that people who overcome it maybe have some value added to themselves or they should be, you know, um, compensated. Mm. It's kind of an odd thing. Maybe I haven't thought about that one fully. No, totally. But the experience that you go through each one builds on top of itself and together it becomes you. Right. Yeah. Uh, you can affect those things. You can turn those things off. You can meditate on that stuff and change it. Mm. But when you apply it to art and when you apply it to yourself as an artist, I mean, a lot of times I'm of the opinion that you are the commodity, not necessarily your art. Mm. And my logic for that is that people who are peddling books that they've just written, they go on talk shows and for just a moment, they are what is interesting. Right. Yes. The like personality so or of identity course, of the artist. Yeah. Your product, yeah. your product, the final creation of your, uh, of your work is itself what sells. Yeah. I, I, I'll admit that, of Definitely. course. I feel like when I'm listening to David Bowie, it's like the music's amazing, but I'm also thinking about like how cool I think David Bowie is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There you go. I mean, we wouldn't... I, I, I think millennials are in love with Freddie Mercury. Yes. <laughs> um, because he's like everything that the millennial icon would present as like the perfect being, this cat-loving beautiful sharp chinned individual yeah, liberated yeah and just wearing the tightest pants and and why can't we all be like that yeah i don't know yeah we need diversity i suppose um <laughs> so <laughs> that that personhood pants. that has suffered all the trauma I'm sorry, i have to interrupt your very very smart thought to uh say pants diversity please continue <laughs> Well, I mean, we do. No. We need pants we diversity. Fully do. I need pants diversity in my own life, or I won't be able to study with sweatpants on. I'm telling you, I am fully on board for pants diversity in the world and also in my own life. And I need—I yeah. just needed to close that loop. <laughs> well, you should. I'm not going to stop you. It's your show. <laughs> but I'm fucking hard with what you're saying. Please continue. I—I th I think this is. I like to come and tell people things that they already know so that they think about it once more because we take so much for granted these days. Mm. And I say these days, I mean, for a lot of people, it's their whole life. For me, even, I take so many things for granted. I was given the opportunity years ago to learn how to properly meditate and to do uh, kundalini yoga and hatha yoga. And I, I just stopped doing some of those things until recently, even though they totally changed the way that I thought about the world. Mm. They changed my life. They gave me so much empowerment. I could talk to people that I would never have the confidence to talk to without that because it became this element of my life that was disrupting me and making me think about the things I already knew. Mm. And so you can ponder over your trauma like I have and turned it into poetry and turn it into interesting short stories where you talk to 
you know, yourself 40 years in the future. Yeah. Like, what is, what is gray hair to you going to say? Um, that's really cool. Right. And people like, people like it. For I sure. want to read other people's, you know, renditions yes. of these things. Yes. But ultimately, if you get any value from that trauma, it's, it's to shape yourself. Right. Right. To get yourself to the point where that future mm. you that you wrote about who's, you know, wealthy and educated is be that person now. Use your trauma to do it. Right. 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 The way that it's shaped you, not the, like, impression that it's made on you, like the cavity. But the, yeah. like... And even the impression that it makes when you stamp it on the page. That's not enough. You need to do it for yourself. Mm. You need to turn that into a weapon. Yeah! This is wisdom. And I'm excited to listen back to this and, and let those words wash over me. Because um, I like the way you put words together. I like hearing what's on your mind. I do think we have to wrap it up. And I, but, yeah. but I want to know, for the only reason other than well, I could sit here and talk to you forever. And I'm excited to talk to you very soon about yeah. anything and everything. And But I also want to know, like, what's on your mind with cooking these days? And, like, what are your cooking quests? Ooh, yeah. And just, like, my totally. last thing I wanted to hit in your... Yeah, in the, yeah, In the yeah. Colin episode. Um, I I had a couple of goals this year that I don't think I met. I still can, but I don't think that I will this year. Um, I wanted, so I do I do eat meat. Yeah. Um, I love like alter meat alternatives, and I started cooking with tofu a couple of years ago, and I really enjoy it. You cook, you cook um, great with tofu. I thank you. I'm I'm glad. I I think I've also gotten better. Like I'm trying to grill more things, but I didn't have a lot of space to do that before to get out and grill stuff. Yeah. Um, but I had goals of like uh, learning to deconstruct things like chicken and fish, and take a whole product and turn it into a meal instead of taking things that were already like halfway through the preparation process right. and simply seasoning them and cooking them. Right. Um. I wanted to be a little more holistic and that's how I like to learn things like from the ground up. And if I don't understand something at the bottom, I get really confused later. Mm. Um, so I wanted to do that. I didn't mostly because I stopped going out to the market as much. And so like going and finding an awesome butcher, like I didn't want to keep exposing myself to COVID more and more just to find those things. Maybe that's an excuse, but it's what happened. And so in the meantime, I turned to a lot more um, like hearty foods, especially as it started. It's cold. Look, if you're not from L.A., you can say whatever you want about me and it'll be true. But here it's cold. <laughs> and in my house, in my room, it gets to 60 degrees. That is freezing here. OK, it's freezing yeah, you're cold. You're allowed to it, be cold, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> I I am acclimatized to a much a much more temperate yeah. set of weather profiles. I'm we don't you. have big seasons. <laughs> I'm cold. I'm with so you. So I started making a lot of stocks and stews mm. and um, learning to make like good gravy Ooh. and 
And my favorite dish in the world is a good shepherd's pie. Um, oh, yeah. And I just, I love to indulge. It's got everything that I want. It's got uh, like meat and vegetables and potatoes. And it's got good textures like we talked about. It's everything that I love in food. And of course, I go the other end of the spectrum. I I'll, I like raw foods. I like, I guess I, I like more raw foods than like well done foods. Mm. But shepherd's pie is something that I think everyone should have a variety of. Yeah. Uh, they should be able to take all the things in their kitchen and make a shepherd's pie out of anything. Mm. It doesn't need meat. It doesn't need potatoes. You can replace those things with anything else. Mm. I didn't have like a bunch of potatoes, so I made like a sweet potato shepherd's pie, which was cool. It was like a little bit uh, a little bit sweeter, a little bit creamier, and I'm a very savory person, but I found a lot of joy in that because it was new. Yeah. So, I think I've gotten into that and and maybe baking is like the next step because I'm not a great baker. I'll just flat out pie say crust it. town. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I need to go into pie crust and um I don't know. I was talking about meat I pies. Really I know what's next. Yeah, I'm excited to uh hear about what is next. And I also want to find a ver- like I love fucking meat pies. <laughs> I was talking about meat pies earlier today with my friend Jordan and we were just I, I, I just need I want I'm not a big dairy person and I want to find a way to mm. make that like inside of a chicken pot pie with uh, fake chicken and and not cream and I don't know how to do that. I'm probably I'm, mm, I'm sure okay. I could probably look it up <laughs> but I want that. <laughs> Yeah. That's my little little yeah, goal. Yeah, that's a good question. It's got to be I done. I think there's the it, it's been done for certain like my knowledge of cooking is kind of like my knowledge of D&D. I I am very good at overselling my skills. Um but I would say the first thing that comes to mind is like typically people thicken things. Right. With like cream and butter and flour like that's how we make our ruse that's how we make like the basis for things so when you don't incorporate thick fatty dairy you have to do something else maybe you can use a little more flour to thicken things up right yeah go out and find it that sounds cool yeah oh man we'll have to uh compare notes next time we hang on uh definitely meat pie adventures yeah what a weird Damn, phrase! Chicken pot pie. <laughs> chicken pot pie. It sounds good. Chicken pot pie. I fucking love chicken pot pie. I did have a good vegan frozen one at the store the other day, but it wasn't at the store yeah. the, the next time I went, and I was sad. Oof. So then you knew you had to you had to do this for yourself. I gotta do this for myself. Yeah. Colin. This has been a dream, dude. Yeah. Do you have any, is there anything anywhere that uh, you want to point people to? Work of yours that people can check out or recommendations of just things you're into that uh, people can also check out? Yeah, I don't have a lot of my stuff connected to social media right now but i am in the process of changing that so maybe next time i'm on i can point you toward me 
You'll never if, be on again, but like. Oh, okay. Well, then <laughs> you text me. Right, saves myself the trouble. <laughs> I don't even have to write the speech. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I look for. I definitely would love to uh, do many more pods. To many more pods. Yes, I would like to say though, uh, for the friends of mine out there who do read, yeah, I have not had a lot of time or energy to read things outside of the occasional book of fantasy that I'll try to sneak in. Right. But I have been getting into short stories more recently, and mm. there's a great author by the name of ZZ Packer, and their book, Drinking Coffee Elsewhere, is fantastic. It's a great set of very well-written stories. I've only read it once, but I think the characters, I want to say when I read it that I could have felt like some of the characters seem to come up again in stories, but in different places. And if they don't, then there's a very uh, liminal sense to all these characters where they just sort of fit together in the big collective human narrative. So if you're into any of that, please check out their work. Um, ZZ Packer? Yeah, like first name ZZ, last name Packer. great name. It's a sick name. (laughs) Hell yeah! Oh man, that sounds like something I want to uh, read and sounds approachable enough to where I could get myself to read it because I'm intimidated by books, but I do enjoy them when I spend time with them. And one last thing I'd like to say, I just realized if you want to support local publishers, go ahead and check out Red Hen Press. They have really good books. They make all their own covers. Uh, Everybody there who I have worked with has been so friendly and has taught me a lot about the publication process and let me work on some of their boilerplate contracts, which is sort of how I got into the process Hello. of where I'm where I'm headed now. That fucking rules. Um, yeah, that's a story for another pod. Hell yeah. Red Hen Press. Yeah, Red Hen Press in Pasadena. Yeah! Colin, you add so much richness to my life. Oh, You're man. the extra flower like... in <laughs> the chicken like, pot pie yeah, of my we life. We talked about a lot of creamy <laughs> stuff today, okay? <laughs> We did, we did. But uh, yeah, I just always appreciate your insights and uh, fucking you rock, dude. Thank you. Bye, Colin! Bye, Mackie. Oh! And just like that, another absolutely fantastic episode of Happy Sat Talking. <laughs> God damn it, what's the name of the show? Happy Sat Talk Thing. <laughs> Isn't that it? brought uh, richness to my life. Colin Dewey, what a dude. I'm not Mackin' on Instagram. Uh, you can check out my music anywhere, Mackin' Carol. Um, I'm in a band called the Nova Darlings. Uh, check them out. Um, check us out. And uh, I made a TikTok. Uh, my Instagram and TikTok are at not Mackin'. And uh, that's all I got to plug. Uh, I'll see you fools next time bye